I'm Dr. Max Pemberton, a doctor and Daily Mail columnist, and this is part two of a special three-part podcast for Male Plus Health, where I speak to Mr. Damien Lake, consultant ophthalmologist at the Queen Victoria Hospital in East Grinstead. So first up, I have worn contact lenses since I was 13, and I'm now 40. And in all honesty, I do wear them for about 16 hours a day, seven days a week. Is this bad or damaging for my eyes? My eyes never feel dry at the end of the day, uh, and I have regular optician appointments. But I always wonder, is there any benefit in trying to wear my glasses one day a week? Well, first, first of all, contact lenses are a great invention. They've helped many people see well um, when they otherwise wouldn't have been able to with spectacles. But the advice generally is to wear them as long as needed, but as little as possible, because they're sitting on the tear film on the surface of the eye. And to a degree, they prevent the oxygen getting through to the eye in the same amount that you would get if you weren't wearing the contact lenses. Now, over time, that can build up in some people and create problems, such as little blood vessels growing into the usually clear cornea at the front of the eye. Although in my experience, that's very rare. You, wouldn't, you don't see it very often. But um, some of the reassuring things here are that um, uh, this reader is visiting the optician or the contact lens practitioner frequently. Now that is the most important thing to do because the contact lens practitioner will be able to tell you whether there are any early signs of this. And if there are, then they will advise you to cut back on your contact lens usage. If there are no signs of that, then you're probably fine to continue with your current habits. Although I would say that, you know, in the evenings or if you're not out socially or, you know, if you're, you know, sat there on a Sunday afternoon doing, doing nothing, don't wear the contact lenses, wear your glasses, just to allow your eyes to breathe. The danger comes in people who are going to the contact lens practitioner once and getting the prescription for their contact lenses and then buying them online thereafter because nobody's checking the eye, nobody's checking to see whether these uh, issues are developing and then you can end up with serious problems. So it's important that if you're wearing contact lenses, that you frequently go and see a contact lens practitioner to check the surface of the eye. And a small caveat, there are cosmetic, I'm not talking about the cosmetic contact lenses where they're for optical purposes, but they've also got a sort of, you can get them now where they've got a, a sort of colored piece to them to enhance the natural color of your eye. But they sort of, um, what I would describe as party contact lenses, which give you the appearance of, I don't know, a demon or something like that. that you're like buy. a zombie. I've worn the zombie ones. They're horrible. They're really hard to get in and out. Yes, they're also really dangerous, Max. What are you doing? <laughs> I bought them online. I put them in. I only got them in one eye. And then I literally couldn't get it back out again. And I, I live very near Moorfield Eye Hospital. And I was about to have to go to Moorfield to get yeah. it Yeah. And this it's is a common story. Don't wear them. They're dangerous. Okay. <laughs> Um, but Damien, can you explain, like, what, why does the eye need to breathe? It sounds, it, it, I think it's, you know, people will be quite surprised to hear that because you know, we don't need to let, let our kidneys breathe or you know, our left toe breathe. Well, what's special about the eye? Why does it need to breathe? Well, the eye is different and specifically the cornea is different. So the cornea is the clear window into the eye. Now, the reason that it's clear is that it doesn't have any blood vessels in it. 
Now that has advantages. It means that uh, medically, if we need to do a transplant of the cornea, it's very successful because there are no blood vessels in it. So therefore, you can't get the usual rejection molecules to the cornea, which then would reject it. So therefore, it's the most successful transplant. However, most structures like your kidney and your big toe get their oxygen from the bloodstream. So the heart pumps the, the blood to the lungs. We breathe in, the oxygen gets into the blood. It goes back to the heart. The heart pumps it again to whichever structure that you need it at or all structures that you need it at, in which case the kidney or your big toe. But the eye, because it doesn't, the cornea, the clear window, because it doesn't have blood vessels going into it, has got to get its oxygen from somewhere else. And it does that by diffusion just from the, from the atmosphere. Now, if you've got a contact lens over the surface of the cornea, then that diffusion is impaired. However, the very clever guys that have invented contact lenses make it out of a substance, usually um, either a silicon or a hydrogel, which allows oxygen to dissolve into the contact lens and then to dissolve into the cornea. So we can still get an appreciable amount of oxygen, but just not the same as in the natural situation. I see. It's important that you do allow the eye to breathe, as it were, because although the contact lens allows some oxygen to get in, it's not as good as if, if there wasn't there at all. That's right. And if it doesn't get enough oxygen, then what happens is, is that the cornea swells a little bit and it becomes a little bit more cloudy and that will impair your vision and everything will appear a bit more blurred. And over time, that can become permanent. So it's good to give it a break sometime. I often shower and swim in my contact lenses while wearing goggles. But my friend said this is terrible and I'm risking an eye infection. Is the risk really that high or is she overreacting? Now, uh, there's a bit of truth in both of those situations, really. Now, the important thing to know is that in the UK, in our domestic water supply, it's not sterile water. So there are bugs in those in the water, particularly, although we, none of us like to think about it, that first burst of water coming from your shower has got quite a lot of bacteria in it. So you need to let the water run, first of all. Number two, the domestic water supply in the UK contains a little bug called acanthamoeba. Now, acanthamoeba likes to stick to contact lenses and it causes a very severe infection of the cornea, which is potentially blinding. So the recommendation is that you never wear contact lenses in the bath or shower, that you never go swimming in contact lenses, and that you never wash your contact lenses in tap water. Now, the, the Daily Mail has done a, a, a great job of um, of explaining that to the general population. And in fact, even one of its uh, writers and editors had acanthamoeba keratitis in the past. And they've repeated that a number of times because it's an important public health message. Contact lenses and tap water, very dangerous. However, I mean, the, the, the guy here may argue that wearing goggles prevents the tap water from getting at the eyes and therefore it's a safer situation. So, I mean, I suppose that you could argue that, but if they were my eyes, I wouldn't go near a shower 
or a bath or a swimming pool with my contact lenses in because in, in the shower, you know, you can, you can have your shower, put your contact lenses in afterwards once you, you've dried off. Swimming, you may say, well, I can't see unless I wear my contact lenses, but you can get, you can get goggles now in which you get your prescription, your glasses prescription put into the goggles so you can still see. So um, if I were them, I would avoid contact lens wear in the bath and shower. So I'm with their friend and the, and the concern of their friend that that's a terrible situation. Yeah, don't risk it. God, that sounds awful. Yeah. I read somewhere you should wear sunglasses even when it's cloudy. Is that true? Also, what kind of sunglasses do you recommend? And would you buy for yourself or your family? What are the key things to look for? I don't really want to spend more than 20 pounds. This is really interesting actually, because I've had numerous patients actually over the years tell me about sort of uh, sunglasses, because it's a lot of controversy because they all seem to come out the same factory. So you could spend 250 pounds or 20 pounds and I think they all come from the same place pretty much. But then I know that there's a lot of concern because of the damage that they potentially can do to eye if they're not good enough quality. So can you explain all this? There's a lot of confusion around this. Yeah, I mean, num number one, sunglasses make you look cool. So they're really good. <laughs> right, there we go. Number two, what, what's, the, what's the issue here? The issue here is uh, ultraviolet light. Now, ultraviolet light is in the atmosphere all the time, but we can't see it. So the first uh, myth is that the darker the sunglasses, the better the ultraviolet protection. It's not. The ultraviolet protection is guaranteed by the British standard or ISO, which should be on the pair of sunglasses. And that gives you a sort of minimum protection from ultraviolet light. However, you can get uh, ultraviolet protection of a higher grade and that will have UV 400 written on the sunglasses. Now, what happens with ultraviolet light that we need to protect our eyes from? Well, I mean, first of all, there's a sort of occupational aspect, which we're not really talking about here. So if you're a welder, then clearly you're going to have an ultraviolet protective mask to, to stop you getting ultraviolet light on the eye. Otherwise, you get a very sudden, painful eye because the surface of the eye gets damaged and that really hurts. But for you and I and, uh, and the readers and day-to-day -day use, ultraviolet light gets in the eye and over time it can damage uh, the back of the eye. So there's some association with macular degeneration. There's some association with cataract formation, so a cloudy lens in the eye. There's some association with something called pterygium, which is a little skin on the surface of the eye, which is not so common in the UK, but much more common in places like Australia and in South America, where there's a lot of ultraviolet light. Uh, exposure. The bigger issue in Caucasian people uh, who are exposed to a lot of ultraviolet light is also skin cancers on the on the thin exposed skin around the eye. So there's two aspects there. There's coverage of the skin around the eye. So it's good to get a large optic or a wraparound which covers that delicate skin around the eye. And then there's the high grade of ultraviolet protection, the UV 400, which is the best. Although I must say you're unlikely to get that for 20 pounds or in fact any sunglasses for 20 pounds, just as you alluded to. I think you're correct 
Um, although there's a plethora of different brands of sunglasses, uh, which I'm not going to name here, they're all mainly owned by one or two big multinational companies which began in Italy. So then people may choose to then go online and get sort of fake glasses or not the same quality glasses which are imported from other countries. You need to be very careful with that, that there is actually any ultraviolet light protection at all. So they may be very dark, so they're protecting you from visible light, but they may not be protecting you from ultraviolet light, which is the damaging uh, component of light. Is it true that that's even more dangerous if you're wearing sunglasses that aren't protecting you? It's actually more dangerous because they allow the eye to kind of relax and open up. And so therefore it allows more of this UV light to get in. Is that yeah, right? Exactly right. So when, um, if you look at your pupils, which is the dark hole in the center of your eye, if you go into bright light, the hole gets small and prevents light getting into the eye. If you go into a dark room, your pupil gets big to allow more light into the room. So when you're wearing dark sunglasses, your pupil will get bigger. But if those dark sunglasses are not protecting you from ultraviolet light, it will let more of the ultraviolet light into the eye. So yes, you're entirely correct. If you've, not, if you've got very dark sunglasses, but no ultraviolet protection, that's more damaging. Concerning the weather conditions, yes, ultraviolet light penetrates through clouds. Um, so on cloudy days, you're, uh, if it's sunny, but a cloudy day, you're just as at risk as if you were on a sunny day. And also, um, if you're getting double exposure, such as, um, you know, if people go skiing or it's a, a, a snowy day in Britain in January, the sunlight will, you'll get exposure straight directly from the sunlight, but also get secondary exposure from reflectance off the off the snow so in both of those situations you, you, you can reasonably wear sunglasses for safety reasons not just to look cool <laughs> so next question like many people i'm now working from home and spend all day on my laptop and doing zoom meetings rather than face-to-face -face meetings in the office is this bad for my eyesight and what can i do to counter any bad effects well we're all doing a lot more uh, Zoom. I'd never even heard of Zoom until before. Neither would I. Now I need to live my life on it. <laughs> yeah, now I'm Zooming all the time. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Zoom, just like we're doing now, we're concentrating. Uh, we're blinking less because we're concentrating. So, first of all, there's the dry eye aspect. And like before, you need to take regular breaks. You need to stare off into the distance every 20 minutes, blink 20 times, just to, just to relax the eyes and to get them uh, moist again. Apart from that, there's the concentration aspect as well, because you know, most of us didn't spend all day staring at a screen, which is only, I don't know what that is, two feet in front of me, something like that. And you know, your natural focal plane, particularly if you're over 45, your ability to change focus is not as great as when you were 21. So, so therefore your, your optician may have given you glasses to suit your, your needs prior to the Zoom era when we've all got to sit in front of the screen. So you may need your glasses updated from your optician to counter that, because otherwise you're gonna be slightly out of focus all day, and over time the muscles become tired, and that manifests as you sort of wrinkle up your forehead to make your eye apertures a bit smaller, and that improves the vision. But of course over time doing this gives you a frontal headache. So you'll find in the evening 
you've got a band-like headache, and that's not very pleasant. So first of all, maybe visit your opticians to get your, your glasses updated. Do the blinking, staring in the distance, and apply artificial tears to wet the surface of the eye if you're getting more of a sort of dry, tired eyes condition towards the end of the day. Natural light. Well, I, I, I think probably otherwise you're not damaging your eyes, but unless you're a child. Right? Now, my wife's a teacher, so she's had these, uh, the primary school kids on Microsoft Teams and Zoom doing their lessons that way. There is evidence that kids need to be outside for a number of hours a day to affect their normal development of their eyes. If they don't do that, then the evidence is quite strong that they become more and more short-sighted. And particularly in the Far East, that's become uh, of epidemic proportions. So they start off being a little bit short-sighted when they're seven. By the time they're 21, they're very short-sighted. Now, what's the issue there? Well, the issue there is that people with very short-sighted eyes are more prone to eye health problems as they get older, like glaucoma, pressure in the eyes, earlier cataracts, and problems with their retina, like retinal detachment, which can lead to blindness, and macular degeneration, which can lead to blindness. So the public health message is that kids need to be outside and getting natural light in the eye for a number of hours a day, and that's good for their eyes. So, so, so all the kind of screen time that they're having, I always thought it was a bit of a myth that, you know, kind of screen time is not good for, for children's health. I thought it was just, you know, one of those things, you know, back in, back in the old days, I used to be out with, you know, yeah. <laughs> kicked outside for like 12 hours a day. I thought it was just, you know, a bit of kind of nostalgia sort of thing. But actually what you're saying is that for, for, from an eye health point of view, actually you, you need to let the kids get out. Um, and all the kind of constant Zoom and whatever um, for, for children isn't actually good for their eye development. Yeah, there seems to be quite strong evidence now from populations that artificial light exposure is different to natural light exposure. And kids that are out in natural light do not get short-sighted, pathologically short-sighted, to the degree that kids who are indoors with artificial light stimulation all day. Mm, that's really, really... Really interesting. So to kick your kids out, kick them out the front door. Yeah. Get those kids out, <laughs> playing football, whatever sport they want to do, or playing with their friends outdoors. That's what you need to do. So it needs to be a balance. I mean, kids have got to have got to learn, of course. They've got to do their lessons. But that shouldn't be their entire life. What a pitiful existence that will be. They need to be outside and playing in the natural light. And that has got health implications. Interesting. Thank you. I am 45 and considering laser eye surgery for short-sightedness. My prescription is minus three in each eye, but I'm worried I'll still need glasses as I'll develop age-related sight loss. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are that the eyes change over time. Now, uh, in this person's uh, situation, provided that their corneas are healthy, so the laser vision correction to explain it is the cornea is about half a millimeter thick. Now we can create a little flap in the cornea, about a tenth of a millimeter thick, which we can lift up and then reshape the cornea with a second laser and then put the flap back down again. And that's laser vision correction. And that's very good at treating short-sightedness within a specific range. And providing this person's cornea was healthy and suitable, of which there are many different things we'd need to look at, 
then that could be done. But I would say that the best time to have had that done was sometime between the age of about 21 and 40, because you get more benefit out of it. Now, when you're 40 to 45 and above, something else happens to the eyes. And that is that the lens inside the eye becomes a bit harder and the muscle inside the eye finds it difficult to change the shape of the lens inside the eye. Now that lens is important because it, it provides a sort of zoom function for our eyes. So when you're 21, providing that you don't have any, you know, you're not short-sighted or long-sighted, if you're just normal-sighted, you're able to see in the distance and then you can pick up a book and you can see up close. But when you're 45, you can still see in the distance if you're normal-sighted, but the function that allows you to see up close, you lose. And therefore you start needing reading glasses or very focal glasses. Now, laser vision correction is very good at correcting so that you can see in the distance well, but if you're over the age of 45, you're not gonna be able to see up close as well. You'll still need to wear reading glasses. So from that point of view, this reader is correct. It wouldn't, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't give you vision like you had when you were 21. However, there are sort of other possibilities, sort of fudging solutions I would describe them as. So you could do something called monovision, which means that you correct one eye so that you can see in the distance and leave the other one so it's short-sighted so you can read up close, which is a possibility but only if you're somebody who's already trialed that out. And you trial that out by getting a contact lens to correct the distance and leave the other one short-sighted. And if you like that solution, then it can then be replicated with the laser. So you, you wouldn't just kind of jump, you wouldn't jump into that, because that sounds like quite, you know, once you've done it, you can't, if it's with the laser, you can't undo it. So you'd have to practice and see if, if it, because I mean, to me, hearing about that, that sort of, that makes me a bit anxious. I think I'd, it might seem a bit mad if I did that. Yeah, the, the issue can be that it's a good solution for a lot of people, but about one in eight people will find that they get double vision that way. Right. Or they don't, like the loss of, they don't like the loss of depth perception that you get by doing that. So it's important that you trial that out with a contact lens first, just to make sure that you're not one of those one in eight people. Because if you are, you're going to be very unhappy after having had the surgery. You'll have spent a lot of money on it and it won't be easy to correct or it may not even be possible to correct. So you're, you're, you're better off trialing that out beforehand to make sure that you're definitely going to be happy with that. Okay, that's really useful. Thank you. And just actually, just I've heard various kind of different things about laser eye surgery, particularly in older people. I've, I've, I've had a couple of patients that had it done and then they've kind of had this sort of starry effect when they're driving late at night and they, you know, sort of, it's, it's not, it's not the panacea. It's not the kind of fix all that everybody sometimes thinks it is. Is that, is that right? Well, there can be a lot of confusion around laser vision correction because ophthalmologists use lasers for lots of different tasks. So there is the task of sorting out short sightedness, which we've been talking about here, which is common in younger people. But we also use lasers for glaucoma surgery. We also use lasers on the retina, particularly for people who have diabetes at the back of the eye 
or blocked veins at the back of the eye. And also we commonly use lasers um, after cataract surgery because after cataract surgery or during cataract surgery, we put a new plastic lens inside the eye. Now the plastic lens sits in a little capsule bag inside the eye, the capsule bag, which in about one in 10 people over time can become um, opaque and cloudy and that will affect their vision. We then do a laser to break an opening in that, in that opacity and then they can see better, but they may still get a few flashing lights for a while or, or some, some visual issues. Now it sounds more likely that in your older patient that that's the type of laser they had, uh, as opposed to the laser vision correction for short sightedness. But there are, there are issues for laser vision correction. I mean, it is, it's a, a treatment that's been used for, you know, tens, if not hundreds of millions of people worldwide and very successfully for people who are very short sighted but it's important to use it within its indications. Uh, it's important to um, use it um, for people who understand what they're undertaking and that there are some risks associated with it. And it is important to do the, the laser vision correction on a cornea, which, which is healthy and suitable for it. Uh, if those criteria are met, then it can be very successful. Um, but like all, it, it needs to be undertaken in the, spirit that it is an operation and it's not a risk-free operation and when you have it done there is likely to be a great benefit but you are undertaking that risk which although small in likelihood it could have effects in magnitude which could affect your life in the long term so you need to be aware of that before you undertake that that's all we've got time for today but come back next week for part three in the meantime if you want more from damien lake He's at DamienLake.com and you can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google. Whilst you're there, please leave us a review and don't forget to sign up for the Daily Mail Plus briefings at mailplus.co.uk.